You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Hey, how's it going? My name's Doug, and this is Raisa. We're members here. Um, we're going to read from Luke 16, so you can pull that up on your phones or find your pew Bibles, or as I like to do, I just listen. Um, I'm reading from the groovy version, translation, The Way, and then Raisa will follow reading the elegant Queen Victoria, Reina Valeria. Uh, please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Jesus now told this story to his disciples. A rich man hired an accountant to handle his affairs, but soon a rumor went around the the accountant was thoroughly dishonest. So his employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you stealing from me? Get a report in order, for you are to be dismissed. The accountant thought to himself, now what? I'm through here, and I haven't the strength to go out and dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know just the thing. And then I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me when I leave. So he invited each one who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He said to the first one, how much do you owe him? My debt is 850 gallons of olive oil, the man replied. Here's the contract you signed, the accountant told him. Tear it up and write another one for half that much. And how much do you owe him? He asked the next man. A thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the accountant said, take your note and replace it with one for only 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the citizens of this world are more clever in dishonesty than the godly are. But shall I tell you to act that way, to buy friendship through cheating? Will this ensure your entry into an everlasting home in heaven? No, for unless you are honest in small matters, you won't be in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's money, why should you be entrusted with money of your own? For neither you nor anyone else can serve two masters. You will hate the one and show loyalty to the other, or else the other way around. You will be enthusiastic about one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, naturally scoffed at all this. Then he said to them, You wear a noble, pious expression in public, but God knows your evil hearts. Your pretense brings you honor from the people, but is an abomination in the sight of God. Until John the Baptist began to preach, the laws of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But John introduced good news that the kingdom of God would come soon. 
and now eager multitudes are pressing in. Hola, buenas tardes. I'm going to be reading uh, in Spanish. Parábola del administrador astuto. Jesús contó otra parábola a sus discípulos. Un hombre rico tenía un administrador a quien acusaron de derrochar sus bienes. Así que lo mandó a llamar y le dijo, ¿Qué es esto que me dicen de ti? Rinde cuentas de tu administración, porque yo no puede, ya no puedes seguir en tu puesto. El administrador reflexionó, ¿Qué voy a hacer ahora que mi patrón está por quitarme el puesto? No tengo fuerzas para acabar y me da vergüenza pedir limosna. Tengo que asegurarme de que cuando me echen de la administración haya gente que me reciba en su casa. Ya sé lo que voy a hacer. Llamó entonces a cada uno de los que le debían algo a su patrón. Al primero le preguntó, ¿cuánto le debes a mi patrón? Cien barriles de aceite, le contestó el él. El administrador le dijo, toma tu factura, siéntate enseguida y escribiré cincuenta. Luego preguntó al segundo, ¿y tú cuánto debes? Cien bultos de trigo, contestó. El administrador le dijo, toma tu factura y escribe ochenta. Pues bien, el patrón elogió al administrador de riquezas mundanas por haber actuado con astucia. Es que los de este mundo, en su trato con los que son como ellos, son más astutos que los que han recibido la luz. Por eso les digo que se valgan de las riquezas mundanas para ganar amigos, a fin de que cuando éstas se acaben, hayan quienes los reciban a ustedes en las viviendas eternas. El que es honrado en lo poco, también lo será en lo mucho. Y el que no es íntegro en lo poco, tampoco lo será en lo mucho. Por eso, si ustedes no han sido honrados en el uso de las riquezas mundanas, ¿quién les confiará las verdaderas? Y si con lo ajeno no han sido honrados, ¿quién les dará a ustedes lo que les pertenece? This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good evening. My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a very strange parable. And uh, I did choose it um, because um, it is, has to do with money, and um, the lesson might be uh, a little bit odd. Um, the hero of the parable that he tells is um, a dishonest man. And um, What I would say the most likely job today this person would have would be in wealth management. He would take people um, with a lot of money and invest that money in different things like wheat and olive oil. And this person is conniving. I think of Danny DeVito. If you've seen the um, Jersey Mike's commercials, you might know him as an actor. You know um, That kind of character I see as the, um, this, this wealth management. Uh, and, and then he's working for a venture capitalist who I imagine kind of Marlon Brando type, um, big money, um, you know, he's kind of a greed is good type guy. This guy um, has a lot of wealth and uh, he has he is hired DeVito to invest that money. So those are the two main characters. And um, ideally, uh, Danny DeVito would be watching over uh, Marlon Brando's investments like a hawk, like he'd be all over that. Uh, he'd be, um, really aware of what's going on in his portfolio. 
But uh, clearly, this is not a good manager, because in verse 5, he says, uh, how much do you owe? He doesn't even know how much these people owe. So that's kind of, you know, the first item on the job description was know how much money these people owe you. And he doesn't even know that. And so it says that um, people, this is verse 1, these are from the English Standard Version. Uh, in verse 1, it says the people informed Marlon Brando uh, that Danny DeVito doesn't have uh, any idea what's going on. He's wasting his possessions. He's careless. He's a fraud. And so um, he fires him. Marlon Brando fires him. He's like, you can't, you can't do this anymore. And at that point, he should have done what businesses do today, which is you, you, you say, uh, give me your computer, go get all your stuff, put it in a box, and you're out of here, and you get escorted by a guard out. And the reason they do that is so that you will not do what Danny DeVito does here, which is to keep that information and use it against his employer, Marlon Brando. Um, because look at what he does. He meets the clients. Um, he probably takes them out to a really, really nice dinner, like at Ryan's or something like that. So he, he meets the clients, takes them out to dinner, he wines them and dines them. Verse 5 says, um, how much do you owe my master? Uh, the first one is like, you know, a huge amount of wheat. It's like a truckload of wheat. It's, these are exaggerated amounts. Jesus is making a point by saying these are just massive amounts. And, um, and then Danny DeVito is like, well, just make it, you know, 80%, like, no big deal. Um, you know, cut that debt by a fifth. And then he asked the other guy, the olive oil uh, merchant, who actually is wealthier. He's wealthier. Uh, this is four forklift pallets of olive oil. So imagine that much olive oil. And back then, olive oil was way more valuable than even today. And he cuts that debt, debt in half, not just uh, 20%, but he cuts that uh, by 50%. And um, it makes Danny DeVito look really generous. It makes him look like uh, he's doing a nice favor for them, that he's feeling generous that day. It makes it look like it's his money that, to throw around. And so these merchants, and it probably wasn't just an olive oil merchant and a wheat merchant. I imagine there were other merchants, figs and dates and carpenters and stuff like that. And um, these merchants are now like, come on over for dinner. Here are my keys to the vacation house. You know, take my car around. Um, and they just, they, they love Danny DeVito from now on. He's, he's got no job. He knows he's too lazy to work. He's not strong enough to dig ditches. But now he's got all these people who are looking out for him. And uh, why doesn't Marlon Brando, this is the question I had, why doesn't he just go to the wheat merchant and the oil merchant and say, I don't care what he told you. You still owe me 100%. Like, he's, this guy's a fool. Uh, and the reason that he doesn't do that uh, it's because he, he cut the debts by just the right amount that he would lose face if he did that. That's a big deal. Uh, in a town back then, everybody knew each other. He would look cheap. He might lose the account. Uh, now, if, the guy, if he had said, you, you owe nothing anymore, then yeah, he would have done that for sure. But he cuts it by just the right amount so that he can't do that. Uh, he, he, can't, he can't overturn what DeVito has done or else he would look uh, like he was... Um, cheap and he would lose face. And so instead, he shakes his head with a sigh of resignation. And verse 8 says, he commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus says something shocking, which is, I commend him as well. You would never think that our Lord would commend someone for being conniving and dishonest like Danny DeVito. Uh, but he says that. Uh, he commends him. And then he says in verse 8, that the sons of this world, which just means worldly people, 
people who just love money and just know how to throw money around. Uh, that He says, the sons of this world are more shrewd with their money than the sons of light. And that's just an, that's an expression that means people of the kingdom, people who know that um, this is not their true home, uh, people who love to do what is right, people who walk in the light. And Jesus' point is not to commend dishonesty. Obviously, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that even if even this bozo knows how to use money, why cannot y'all figure it out? If even Danny DeVito knows, how, knows what to do with money, knows how to operate with money, why can't you? Like, how could he be wiser with money than you are? That's what he's telling his disciples. And then that leads to the question, well, then what did he know about money? What did Danny DeVito know about money that we need to know about money, that Jesus wanted his disciples to know about money? And there's two things. And number one is, your money is not yours. Uh, Danny DeVito knew that. He knew that money was not his, and he knew it was going away. He knows it's fleeting. So anyone that uh, clings to their money as if it is going to be there forever and save you uh, is a fool. That's what Jesus says in a parable. Uh, He says in verse 12, your wealth is someone else's property. You don't own it. It's on loan. You're a steward. That's why we say stewardship. You steward the money. You're like Danny DeVito. You take the money and you invest it, but you don't own it. And then number two is that uh, Danny DeVito knows what to do with that money. Because he knows the nature of it, that he doesn't own it and it's going away, he knows exactly what to do with it, which is he invests it in people. And that's really the main point of the stewardship sermon. Verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of it. Use it um, to to develop relationships, to strengthen relationships, to create memories, uh, to do things that will last beyond the grave. Relationships will last beyond the grave. Money does not. So those are the two points. Number one, I want to talk about how the fact that your uh, money is not yours and it's going away. And number two, that uh, you need to be using that money to invest in people. And hopefully this is guilt-free and shame-free because I know that we can feel really nervous about money. Uh, We don't like to talk about money. Especially Christians feel guilty sometimes just for having money. And Jesus does not want us to feel that way. That's not the point. Um, So first of all, uh, you are Danny DeVito. You're not Marlon Brando. You, You don't own the money. You were given the money. And uh, everything you have is on loan. You didn't make any of it. It's all a gift. Even your talents and the time you're given, you might say, well, I work hard for these things, but even that's a gift. So like this watch, this iPad, uh, my phone, my keys to my car that's outside, uh, the shirt, uh, the pants, the belt, the shoes, uh, my uh, case over there, my hydro flask, everything in my house, my dog, Everything is a gift. I did not make any of that stuff. Nothing. I didn't make any of it. And I came into this world with nothing. When I was born, I had nothing. And when I leave the world, I will have nothing. And it's all a gift. Everything in between is a gift. And uh, <clears throat> if you saw a, uh, an Amazon driver or a UPS driver um, in the truck, and you can see uh, the UPS driver with these packages, he's got these packages, and he starts you know, opening them up and taking the stuff out and kind of fiddling with it, playing around with it, you know, trying on the shirts. Um, You would think, this guy is an idiot. Like, he does not know that he's a UPS driver. He thinks that he owns those things. And that's exactly what the angels think when they see you acting like you own your stuff. They're like, that, they don't know what they're doing. Like, it looks like she thinks she owns that stuff. Or it looks like he thinks that that actually belongs to him. And, um, 
The way that I know that we think that, the way that I know that I think that, is what happens when someone uh, treats me in a way uh, where they, they take from me something that I think is mine by right. So if somebody uh, crosses a line and violates my sense of what is mine, um, I will lash out. Like Gollum, you know, my precious about the ring and the Lord of the Rings. Gollum is always saying, my precious, it's mine, I must have it. And he just lashes out if anybody tries to come between he and his ring. There was a hotel that charged me um, for someone else's room. It was a lot of money. They, they charged me they, for something that uh, I was not supposed to be charged. And so uh, called them up, because the, the charge came across the phone, called them up, and they said, and if you're in any kind of service industry, don't do this. They said, oh, you'll have to figure this out with them. You know, uh, we deleted credit card information. You'll have to interact with them and, and figure that out. And uh, I absolutely blew up. I was mad enough that they even, you know, put that on my card to begin with. And then the fact that I was supposed to do it uh, to take care of this, I said, I need to speak with your manager right now. This is your problem. This is not my problem. And uh, my voice was very clipped and aggressive, and I was kind of shaking. And Marjorie was like, oh, that's not really like you. And I realized that that was an x-ray into my heart, that um, the reason I did, I, and I'm not normally like that, but it, it really grabbed a hold of me because it uh, touched something that I think is mine by birthright. Now, I'm, I, we shouldn't be taken advantage of. Like, I should have reacted and said no to that. That's appropriate. But it's the, it's the energy that's there. It's the, um, the sense of um, that is mine, and you do not touch that. Um, you don't mess with my stuff. And uh, the reason that I think that we cling to things is we think that um, they can, they can, these things can save us. We think that the money is uh, our, our gateway to security or to pleasure, and that uh, all that we need uh, we can find in that money. And Jesus says in verse 9, uh, make friends of yourselves by worthless wealth. He calls it worthless. And he says, so that when it fails, not if it fails, but when it fails, uh, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So the, the wealth he describes as worthless because it, not because wealth is in itself bad. He's not saying it's bad. He's saying that uh, the worth that it, you think it has is not there. Uh, the worth is not there. Uh, that it promises a lot and, and gives very little. It's like if you had a lot of blockbuster video stock in 1998 and you didn't realize that uh, Netflix was coming around and they were going to all shut down. That's what money's like. It's, it's there, uh, but it's going away soon. It's fleeting. And uh, someone told me about this song at the Bible study on Wednesday by Coin, and I had never heard this song. I listened to this song. It's a good song. And the lyrics say, uh, he never made time for the family but he's the richest man in the cemetery. He only made time for the company, but he's the richest man in the cemetery. And um, then somebody else sent me this quote by Johnny Manziel. He says, when I got everything that I wanted, I think I was the most empty that I ever felt inside. And that's what Jesus means when he says it's worthless. You know, not, again, not that it's bad. It does get us things. We need it. We definitely have to have it. But what we think it will achieve, it will not achieve. And um, I love the British 20-pound note. You know, I've been to England several times, and uh, I love their money. 
Uh, I've heard that they switched the picture from uh, Queen Elizabeth to now to King Charles, which makes me sad, because I love the picture of Queen Elizabeth. They're very big and they're colorful, and uh, they don't look like a dollar at all. They have multiple colors in there, and they kind of shimmer. And uh, what if I brought back, like, you know, dozens of these 20-pound notes when I came back from England, and somebody's like, why do you have, like, 15 or 20, 20-pound? 20 I said, what if I said, I, I really like the way they look? Like, they're really, really pretty. And uh, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to exchange them in Heathrow Airport. And they'd be like, Jesus was like, no, you want to convert those pounds to dollars while you still can? You want to convert that currency that is from the earth into the currency that is in heaven because that's the only place it really works. He says in verse 9, make friends with your wealth so that friends will receive you into eternal dwellings. And eternal dwellings, I have to believe, are, are houses that we have in the new creation uh, with uh, friends, with people we know, with people uh, that we have, maybe even people we have shared the the good news with, people that uh, our, our relationship with them was based on our mutual love of God. Um, they, there's a quote that, uh, that I've heard that says, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. In other words, when somebody dies and they're in a hearse and they're being taken down the road, there's never a U-Haul behind that with stuff in it. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses, but there are people behind them. There's a long line of people that are grieving for the person that just died, and they are longing to see them again. And the reason that they're there is because the person in the hearse invested in those people that are behind the hearse. And that's what you want. You want uh, to use the money that you have now uh, to give to people, um, to invest in people. It can be the nearest people to you. It can be people who are way away from you. But it's, it's, it's to be used for relationships. Dolly Parton said uh, that money, pardon the expression, is a bunch of manure. It's not worth a thing unless it is spread around, encouraging young things to grow. And she started this imagination library where any child in the world can sign up. And if, if they sign up, she will just send them books all the time. And she sent over a million books to kids all over the world in her imagination library because she wanted to take her wealth. And she's not nearly as wealthy as she could be, but she's very rich in other ways. Whoever can be trusted with little, in verse 10, can be trusted with much. And what is the little in that expression? The little is money. He's saying that money is little, and the much is friends. And so even uh, the, the, the wealthiest unbeliever you know, wealthiest person you know who has no faith, uh, has no spiritual relationships, is destitute compared to the poorest believer. So Elon Musk is a pauper, a pauper compared to a homeless man in a healthy church. Like, there's, there's no comparison in the amount of wealth, the true wealth. And so G Jesus is not shaming us for enjoying money. He wants us to enjoy money. What he's doing is he is inviting you to joy. He's inviting you into relationships. And he's saying, uh, go on vacations with people um, and invest it that way. And, and take people to dinner. Have them over to your house, friends. Uh, have a party for your neighbors. Um, have, go to family reunions with, mo with money. Go and, and use your money um, to bless people, to connect with people. There's this amazing verse in Deuteronomy 14. Uh, this is the Old Testament that people hate. This is the Torah, you know, book of Deuteronomy. People think it's an awful, mean, oppressive book, a harsh book. Well, Deuteronomy 14, 26 says this. 
Uh, when it's talking about the tithe, we always think of the tithe, you know, 10% as the money you give to the church. And uh, that's a good rule of thumb. Uh, it's not defined by scripture. That's a good rule of thumb, a tenth of your money. But listen to what Deuteronomy says to do with the tithe. This is the Old Testament. Um, it, it says, give a tithe, in other words, 10% of your grain, wine, oil, cows, and sheep. So those are four of the big things that they would have used. Um, five, grain, wine, oil, cows, and sheep. Take a tenth of that, this is a command from the Lord, and use it for a party. Use it to have a gathering. Have wine, have strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. I'm reading from the Bible here. Eat before the Lord and rejoice, you and your household. So it is a command to rejoice. And notice wine and strong drink. Um, he is commanding us there He's commanding Israel that, that to be a true worshiper of Yahweh, to be in fellowship with Yahweh, uh, is to be uh, a God full of joy. He's a jovial God. He's a God of mirth and overflowing abundance and generosity. And he wants us to join in that part of his character, which makes him very happy. It makes him full of joy and life and energy. That's what God is, like this fountain of life and energy and generosity just pouring out. And he's inviting you to come into that. You know, the best thing in my life, without a doubt, is my friendships with people who love God. I mean, that, that is the richest thing that I have. And if everything went away and I had that, um, that's the most long-lasting form uh, of riches I have. And if you're young, that's a really good thing to know, uh, that that's where you want to be putting money. And uh, I want that for our, our son and our daughter uh, more than a good GPA, way more than a good GPA. I, I would love for them to graduate from college with a ton of good friends, spiritual friends. Way more important to me than the job they get or their physical health is, uh, is what kind of friends they make. I was talking to a student uh, one time who was just, their, their life at Wake Forest was filled with riches of friendship and their parents were really disappointed in them because of the job they were gonna try to take after college. And I was like, if only I could talk to your parents and tell you how rich their son is, how wealthy, how uh, blessed he is. We were at uh, Sabor, which is a restaurant in town that I like, and I'm, I'm promoting shamelessly. Um, and we were there with our son Cooper on Sunday, and he's at NC State. He's a freshman, and I've been praying. I've probably asked a lot of you to pray for him, and I've really been praying, like, please give Cooper good friends in Christ. Give Cooper friends who love God and uh, who connect with God. And... Um, he just, out of the blue, um, he started talking about his friends. And I could tell he was very proud of it. Like, he was, he was smiling. And he's like, uh, I've got these great friends with uh, this campus ministry that I do. And he's like, one of them asked me about my favorite Bible story. Uh, freshman in college, a guy. And then he said, another one said to me, don't you just love to pray? And uh, our minds were, like, were just blown by this. And Margie actually, my wife, came across the table to, like, to hug him and say, we are so proud of you, Cooper. We are so excited. There's nothing better we could hear about you than that. And if you think about this uh, wealthy man, Zacchaeus, that Jesus met, he was a tax collector. He had no friends. He was uh, excluded. He probably thought that all he needed was money, and um, he had a lot of it, but he had no relationship. He was kicked out of the synagogue. Um, and so one day, uh, Jesus invited himself, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. 
I love that. I have not ever done that in my life, but I love that Jesus did that. Can I, he said, I must come to your house for dinner tonight, Zacchaeus. And uh, Zacchaeus was so excited, he made a great feast. And when he met Jesus, uh, he wel- Jesus welcomed him back into the, the community of faith, of, of Israel. He welcomed him back into the community of faith. And, and Zacchaeus stood up, and he cashed out all his money for friends. And uh, when Jesus left his house, he was the richest man in that city uh, because he had made all these friends with all that wealth. Ebenezer Scrooge, Christmas Carol, I watch it every, every single year. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do every year is to watch The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Ebenezer Scrooge, huge amount of wealth. He doesn't even enjoy spending it. He just hoards it. It makes him feel safe. It makes him feel strong. It makes him feel powerful. But uh, he has no friends at all. In fact, he drives off his, even his nephew Fred. He drives off everyone. Uh, but after he is reborn, he's, he's like basically reborn in the movie. He becomes like a child again. And he starts cashing in the money. My favorite scene is, that, is the Christmas day. He wakes up on Christmas day. He says, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. And he, he buys this huge turkey for the Cratchits. He gives money to the carolers he passes by. He gives money to the charity that he had snubbed earlier. He goes to his nephew Fred's party and enjoys the party and brings a gift. And, all this, and it says at the, end of the, at the end of the movie, at the end of the play, at the end of the book, uh, he became uh, one of the wealthiest men in all of London because of the friendships he had made. And um, sadly, that's a rare exception to the rule. Uh, sadly, in, in most of human lives, uh, we don't do that, which is why Christmas Carol is such a great story, because it's so rare, because it doesn't happen very much. And Jesus knows that about us. He knows we don't do this. So I'm not saying go out there and do what Jesus tells you to do. I mean, I want that to happen in your life, but that's not the point of the parable. Uh, Jesus knows that we do not invest our money in people. He knows we hoard it. He knows we indulge ourselves on it. We're very selfish with it. And yet he is saying, I'm not going to fire you because of that. I'm not going to fire you. And I am going to welcome you into eternal dwellings no matter what you do. I'm going to welcome you into my eternal dwellings. And I'm going to go make a place for you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. So I'm going to even prepare the house for you. And I don't need to be bribed at all. I'm doing this willingly, joyfully. I came here to do this. Like I, This is my heart as I freely cashed in all the wealth of heaven. Uh, to have you. Uh, And to quote uh, our very own Jackson Cole, who apparently is quoting his father-in-law, he said, money will not lay down its life for you. Uh, It'll ask you to lay down your life for it. But Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And that's rich in the deepest sense. And that's what we see at this table. Uh, that on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that all his friends were stolen from him and taken from him and abandoned him, uh, on the night that he lost all of that, uh, he knew that in doing that, he was going to give us uh, all these friends. And he was like, I go to the cross joyfully. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross, scorning the shame. And uh, he told his disciples before it happened, I know what you're going to do to me. I know you're going to betray me and leave me. And yet I am doing this gladly to give you my life, give my blood shed for you. And then 
He said, this is my body broken for you so that when I die tomorrow and bleed and my body is shattered on the cross, uh, just know that I am doing this, knowing what you're going to do beforehand and that uh, my love for you will be most shown at, at your weakest point, at your worst point, at your most faithless point. That's when you're going to know my love for you. So um, I'm going to pray for this meal as we come up here, but um, we should all know that uh, this is not just symbolic. This is not just a remembrance. This is not a subjective event. This is an objective event. Christ is appearing here invisibly, but truly he is present at this table. Truly, uh, he says, this is my body. This is my blood. I am really here. Uh, these elements are not physically turning into anything different, but he is truly here. And so um, we take it very seriously, this, this table. Um, and if, if you don't believe in these things, we're so glad you're here. I am so glad that you came tonight, and God loves you. Um, but if you don't believe in these things, it would not make any sense to partake in them. Uh, that would be a foolishness and hypocrisy, and we, we do not want to encourage that at all. But also know that um, the only qualification for this meal is that you, uh, you know you need God. You're, you know you're poor and desperate and needy, and you need God's uh, riches to be put into your hands. So that's why we come up here like this. So um, let me pray for us as we approach the table. Father, uh, move our hearts, Lord, um, even tonight to, um, to make resolutions and plans uh, of ways we can bless people and make them happy, even just paying for someone's meal at a restaurant where they don't know you did it. Um, things like that are so fun um, to just bless people with money. Help us to be creative about it and to invest in relationships. And um, thank you for the money we have. Um, I just pray that you would help us if we're anxious about money or um, if uh, we don't have enough money, help us, Lord, um, provide. Not all of us have enough. Um, so help us all, Lord, with our money. We thank you for it. We know it's a gift from you. Uh, we thank you for clothing us and giving us nice homes that we have, those of us who have homes, and for feeding us. And um, thank you for always looking after us. We know that you care deeply for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Remember, we love these rascals.